You're listening to Still Standing with Valerie Silvera. On every episode, I talk to you about uplifting, empowering, and inspirational topics that can help you to stand up and fight those beasts in your life and to just live a life filled with much more happiness, strength, and courage. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or on SoundCloud so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. You can also find this directly on my website at ValerieSilvera.com. You are not alone. I am standing with you. Hi, I'm Valerie Silvera, and I am the mom of an addict, but I am so much more than that. Let me just tell you a little bit about my story, my journey on what I call the roller coaster from hell and how I finally pulled the emergency brake and got off. A few short years ago, I found myself standing in my kitchen saying to my husband, Rich, I don't want to be here anymore. I told him it's just too hard. And this was after nearly 13 years riding what I call the roller coaster from hell. And I rode that roller coaster as a result of my daughter Jamie's addiction. And for so many years of that ride, I just did not know what to do, what was happening, why it was happening. And so the further Jamie's life spun out of control, the further mine spiraled into darkness. And so this once happy, confident, and hopeful woman finds herself standing there in that kitchen. I'll never forget it. I'll never forget exactly where I was standing, how I was feeling. The only thing I don't know exactly is how my husband must have been feeling when he heard me say that. And truthfully, I've been feeling that way for a very, very long time. I had just never voiced it to another human being. I voiced it to God. I had cried out. I had woken up nearly every morning for the longest time, initially thinking, oh my gosh, this is another day. Great. You know, the normal way I would approach a day only to remember in a nanosecond, oh, that's right. This is my life. I started to believe that my life was now a life sentence, that all of my good days were behind me, that I no longer had a purpose, God was somehow mad at me, he didn't care about me, and my life was pretty much ruined unless Jamie stood up and took on her addiction beast and literally stood over it for I don't know how long. It would have to be a really long period of time because anytime she was clean, I was a disaster, just waiting and wondering when it was going to happen again. And so when you live that way for a long time, for a lot of years, when you watch somebody that you love so much on a freight train headed toward a brick wall, I mean, it really does number on you. I lost my confidence. I mean, I couldn't seem to make anything happen. And I was the kind of person that could make things happen. If I really wanted something, if I was determined, I could always figure out a way. I'm a person that can figure things out. My brain works pretty well figuring lots of different things out. And it seemed that for the last couple of years or so of my life to that point, I couldn't figure anything out. I literally could not make anything happen. I couldn't seem to make a meal 
that tasted right anymore. And um, I just didn't know what was happening to me, but I was pretty sure that it all had to do with my daughter's addiction. And of course, going through this kind of heartbreak and disappointment and hopelessness and helplessness and paralyzing fear, of course it was about that. But unfortunately, what I wasn't recognizing and realizing is that as those years wore on, and as I tried desperately to help her, to save her, to guilt trip her, to convince her, to make her, to you know, come up with that one thing, that magical thing I could say that would change everything for her, as that continued on, I was changing. And so even if my daughter had become clean, I had to do something. I had to do something to take my life back. And I mean, it, I went through so much crying out, hoping, praying, wishing, pretending to the outside world that everything was okay. I was acting like I was okay on the outside, but I was really dying on the inside. And I, I wonder how many times I must have asked the question, why? Why me? Why my daughter? I don't understand why this is happening, God. I mean, why are you not saving her? Why are you not making her change? Why are you not coming to our rescue? Why are you not stepping in? I've always wanted to make a difference in this world and do something important, and why are you not letting me? Why are you taking this all away from me? Why did you give me this life sentence? These were the kind of things that were going around in my mind and even in my heart, day after day after week after month after year. And when you ask why, why me enough times, eventually you're going to become a victim. And so I was a victim. I felt as if life had really handed me an unfair life sentence and um, it just wasn't fair because my daughter was raised well, okay? I'm far from perfect, far from it. I was obviously not the perfect mother because there doesn't exist one, but I tried really hard to be a good mom. You know, why did my daughter shoplift a week after she was at Bible camp when she was 15 years old? I taught her about honesty and integrity. We lived in a nice home. She had nice things she didn't want for anything. Why is this happening? And no matter how many times I asked why, it just kept happening. No matter how many times I asked that question, it just kept happening. And things just did not seem to get better no matter how much I tried, no matter how much I tried to force Jamie to change, no matter how many times I stepped in, no matter how much enabling I did, no matter how many times I bailed her out, nothing seemed to change. She did have some short periods of being clean, but they were very, very short. And so, once again, I would ask why, and then the interesting thing was is that while all of this was happening with my shattered heart, everything else in my life started to fall apart too. Finances and uh, my relationship with my husband was not doing well. My relationship with other people, I was becoming the old woman in the cave. In fact, I wrote a story in my book, Still Standing After All the Tears, I shared this story called The Old Woman in the Cave and it's exactly how I was feeling. I had really begun to isolate myself and became 
singularly focused on Jamie and her addiction and even though I was going through the motions of life, I was not really present and I don't know if everybody else knew it, but I knew it. So it was destroying me. Little by little, I was self-destructing. No matter how I looked on the outside, um, it was happening. And, and so, again, I would, I would ask these questions over and over and over, why? Why is the smartest person that I know, the most gifted girl I've ever met, why is she crashing? Why would she choose drugs and a lifestyle that turns out to have gang members in it? Why would she choose these people over this wonderful, amazing family that she has that loves her so much and has been there for her her entire life? Why would she choose that? It makes no sense. Why would she quit playing select softball when she loved it so much and she was so good at it? Why would she quit youth group when she was so on fire for God? Why did it seem that she didn't want to be with us? Why? Why, God? Why, 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 why? And so there I was, standing in my kitchen, telling my husband that I don't want to be here anymore. And I wasn't about to go take my life, but it is how I was feeling. It felt like I had this dark cloud hanging over my heart 24 hours a day, seven days a week, every moment of every single day, and I couldn't shake this dark cloud. It was as if I had somebody whispering in my ear, and it turns out I identified this as the beast, and the beast is definitely not from God, and these beasts will do everything they can to separate you from God, and to convince you that you're not worth it, and to keep you down on that mat. And that is how I felt, as if I was down on this mat, and my beast was on top of me with his claws around my throat, and he would whisper in my ear and scream in my face constantly every single day, you're a terrible mother. It must be your fault. The reason Jamie turned to drugs probably was because of all the partying you did in your early years. That's probably why. It's your fault because you got married too young and married the wrong person and got divorced so young. It doesn't matter that we had a great life and I had a wonderful time being a single mom. I still had that, that constant noise, that constant self-talk in my ear saying it had to be something that I did. I did. I worked too much. It doesn't matter that you taught her about honesty and integrity and hard work and all of that and you taught her about God. None of that matters because you worked too much. I figured it had to be that. Maybe it was that I married rich and she didn't want a stepfather and they didn't get along the best initially and maybe that was it. I moved her to Bellevue, Washington, which was a beautiful area and she went to great schools and everything. But maybe it was because I moved her. It didn't matter that I had moved just about every two years until I got to high school and I didn't end up addicted to drugs. It didn't matter. That self-talk, that beast was constantly there. So it felt like I was down on this mat. And maybe you can identify with this. And this beast was on top of me with his claws around my throat, whispering in my ear and screaming in my face every moment of every day. No wonder I lost my self-confidence. No wonder 
I lost my self-worth. No wonder I had no more hope. No wonder I nearly lost my faith. No wonder. Because this constant barrage, this attack on me constantly, and I began to believe it all. Because it seemed like every time I would try to get up, he would just slam me right back down to the mat or just say that one thing that had me feeling guilty. So I began to live in a world of guilt and shame. I was ashamed. What must other people think of me? It didn't matter that those that knew me best, that had been around for all of my mothering years, it didn't matter that they told me I was a good mom. It didn't matter that I thought I was a good mom. You know, the results were, were clear to me. And um, one of my two children was addicted to drugs and doing some really bad things and hanging out with some very dangerous people. In fact, in 2004, at the age of 18, she was shot by her ex-boyfriend and it was a near fatal gunshot wound. I mean, it, it was shocking. And I spent the next 12 years still having moments of shock. You know, those kind of out-of-body experiences that would feel like, wow, I just said my daughter was shot. How can I be saying that? I don't live in a world where people shoot each other. It just seemed impossible that I could be saying that. But yet those were my words. It was just as shocking as that time when I said to my husband, I don't want to be here anymore. It's, it was my voice. Clearly I had just said it, but it, it, in a way it just didn't seem possible. And I continued to feel that way for the next 12 years. Because 12 years after my daughter was shot and had 50 staples holding her gut together, she was shot again. This time it was fatal. And, um, and it still to this day seems odd sometimes when I say that my daughter has been murdered. Um, it doesn't seem possible. The difference now really is that I have stopped asking why. I've stopped driving myself nuts. Shortly after that time standing in the kitchen, I mean, it, was, it was really a pivotal moment for me. So as sad as that memory is for me, it's sad for me not so much for how I was feeling because I, I get all of that. The thing that makes me the saddest about that moment was wondering how it must have made my husband Rich feel. And um, I've asked him that, but I just, I don't know if he would ever really be able to communicate how that must have felt when the person he loved most in this world said, I don't want to be here anymore. So I'm sure he must have felt like he wasn't enough. And he knew that the, he, there was nothing he could do to change all of that. And so it probably left him so helpless it, it, as if he wasn't already feeling all of that. So I do feel badly that I put him through that, but that's how, how I was feeling and I, I expressed it that day. The good news is that me expressing, I don't want to be here anymore, turned out to be a pivotal moment in my life. Because shortly after that, I made the decision to stand up and fight. I decided that that was not acceptable. And I was going to figure out how to even get just a little bit happier. I wasn't going to live the way I was anymore. I decided that was not going to be my legacy. I was not going to leave that legacy for my son, Sean. Uh, and even for Jamie, I was not going to do this to my husband anymore. I was going to somehow figure out how to reclaim my life. 
I had no idea where I was going, how I was going to get there, what I was going to do about it. I just knew that something had to change because I couldn't continue to wake up every morning with this doom and have a hard time falling asleep at night and just have that dark cloud hanging over my heart every moment of every day. I was tired of being an actress. I was tired of pretending that everything was okay when it was not okay. I was tired of smiling on the outside while I was dying on the inside. So I decided to do something about it. And so basically, I mean, I literally did this. I, one day I was standing in front of the mirror and I said, God, why me? And it was so weird because what came to me so quickly, just down in my spirit was why not you? And I thought, wow, why not me? You mean, you? I'm one of the unlucky ones you chose? But I quickly realized that the why not me meant, why not me be the one that stands up and fights? Why not be the person who shows others that it's possible? Why not take all of my pain and my heartbreak and sadness and get better and then maybe I can help some other people to do the same? And so that's literally what I did. And I mean, it took time, it took a lot of prayer, it took a lot of introspection and drawing on a lot of different things that I had learned over the years and wisdom that had been shared with me. And I wound up developing what I call the nine actions to battle your beast. And it, it turned out to be incredible. It, and it, it was a battle. I'm not gonna tell anybody that this is easy. You can't have somebody that you love as fiercely as a child be addicted to drugs or alcohol and go get your life back and it's going to be easy. It's just not going to be easy. But here's what I discovered. I found out that as difficult as it was for me to get my life back while my daughter was very lost in the belly of her beast, while she's out sticking needles in her body, I found my joy and happiness again and that wasn't easy. How could it be? It could not be easy, but I discovered that as difficult as it was to stand up and battle my beast and to eventually stand over the top of that beast, as difficult as that was, it was actually easier than continuing to live with it, to continue to lay down on that mat and self-destruct day by day. Definitely, definitely worth all of the struggle and all of the difficulty. Thinking back and remembering how I felt before I made my decision, I can't even really describe the difference between how I felt then and how I feel now. And what's almost miraculous really is that in between the time that I stood up and now, my daughter got a lot worse. Life around me definitely got way more challenging and of course, that knock on the door that no mother can prepare for, no matter how well you are, that my daughter had been murdered. And I don't know that I, I know that I never would have believed it possible to be as well as I am and um, to be happy and find joy again if one of my kids was, first of all, crashing. I didn't think that was possible. Certainly not to have one of them die and you know, to live with a murder in my life, I just, I don't, if you would have told me that years ago, I would have said, no way, no way. But it's really amazing 
how much courage you have when you really fight for it. It's amazing how much peace you can gain if you fight for it too. And so, while, you know, if I would allow myself a moment of coulda, shoulda, woulda, I wish none of this happened, of course. I wish that my message to the world, my way of helping others was a completely different path. You know, here I am. And here are a lot of you too. A lot of you are out there that are moms of addicts too. And you don't know how you're ever going to get better, how it's going to be possible for you to be happy again and less. And so that's what I figured out is that I was just waiting. So I spent those 13 years waiting and that's not even really the proper word because waiting is kind of like, okay, you're just waiting. We don't actually wait. We actually self-destruct. So the thing about it is, is that I, I really recognize that had Jamie become clean and had she even stayed clean for a significant period of time, I would still need to reclaim my life. I would still have to be working on myself. I would still have so much uh, work to do because you don't self-destruct and then you know something outside of your control, something else changes and suddenly you're okay. I mean, we, we go through, I don't even know what to call it. You know, some people call it PTSD that moms of addicts go through, but I don't even know if you call it that because that's a post-traumatic um, condition we go through this constant traumatic situation. You know, we, our adrenals are drained. So physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, we're in bad shape. And so, you know, no matter what, no matter what is going on around a mom, she's got to make that decision like I did. She's got to make that decision that she's going to fight for her own life and that it's not selfish that it's actually the best thing that you could do. So, you know, that's what I did. I stood up and fought and I, you know, by the grace of God, I developed those nine actions to battle your beast and they're helping other people. They're helping a lot of people. And I've actually learned to use those nine actions in all areas of my life, not just in this big beast battle. So of course, once Jamie was killed, I, I mean, I wondered, if these nine actions would still be valid, could you continue to live or get back up again? Because obviously I was knocked right back down to my mat. I call that knocking the door, not the beast knocking on my door, but a home invasion. And um, I wondered if it was possible for me to live with a hole in my heart and still find happiness again. And I found out that it was true that you can do that. And so today I do live with a hole in my heart and I've come to realize, understand, and even accept and embrace the fact that I have a permanent hole in my heart. But it's okay. It, it's, not even, um, it's not even that, okay, I've just got to accept it. I actually do embrace that hole because it's a reminder of the privilege that I had for being Jamie's mom for 30 years even if half of that 30 years was her living with her addiction beast, it still was such a privilege to know her, to love her, to call her my daughter, and to get to be her mom. And so I've discovered that my heart is big enough for all of it. It's big enough for that hole to exist. 
and I honor it when it needs attention, but I do not allow the whole to swallow me up. And I truthfully believe that the best way that I can honor Jamie, the best way that I can honor her life, the best way that her story doesn't end with a period at the end of drug addict who was murdered, is for me to go out into the world and do good and to shine my light and her light and to prove and to demonstrate and to lead and guide others to find their joy and their happiness again too, no matter what is going on around them. I have this vision that I think about often and it's that one day I'll be standing there and I'll look to my left and I'll look to my right and as far as the eye can see are women standing shoulder to shoulder. We're linking arms. We're standing together because it's so critically important to not feel alone. I felt very alone, even in a room full of people who loved me, even when I was laughing, even when I was the life of the party, I always felt alone for so many years while I was riding that roller coaster from hell. And so I think really what happens is most people wait. They just wait for something to get better and then they won't have to change. But I'm here to tell you, when you've gone through hell, when you've gone through something you know devastating that's shattered your heart into a million pieces, no matter what happens on the outside, no matter if somebody else gets better, no matter if circumstances do change for the better, you're still gonna be that person who was self-destructing. You're still gonna be that person who changed. And so you're going to have to work to get yourself back. Here's the good news. I'm actually not the same person I was before all hell broke loose. In so many ways and really important ways, I'm a far better person than I was before all hell broke loose. So in that way, I am grateful. I'm grateful for my journey because I did have the opportunity to grow and change. Unfortunately, a lot of people won't take that opportunity to grow and change. They'll just allow that dark cloud to descend over their heart. They'll stay down on the mat with their beast on top of them. And I just, it really, sometimes it really makes me emotional when I hear from somebody who's just decided to stay down on that map because I know what it feels like to be there. I know what it feels like to be devastated and heartbroken and hopeless and helpless and living in paralyzing fear. But I also know the feeling, the empowerment of making that decision to stand up and fight and then getting back up every time. And using the tools and resources and just allowing myself, giving myself permission to be happy again. And I, the difference between how I felt after I made that decision and, and became healthy and whole again and, and being down on the mat is I, I, I literally, as I said before, I can't even describe it because you have to experience it. Because when you first stand up to fight, you probably won't believe that you can. But the good news is that no matter how you feel today, you can because all it takes is a tiny, tiny bit of hope, just a tiny bit of hope and a shred of self-confidence. And if you can't stand up for yourself, you can stand for somebody else. I initially stood up mainly for the sake of my son, Sean, because I was 
realizing that even though I was her mom and it probably affected me the most, it affected him in a different way. In fact, after Jamie died, he told me one day, you know, mom, Jamie and I are the only two people on the planet that share the same DNA. And you know, that's significant for him. That was a bond and he became an only child overnight. And even before she died, he was becoming an only child. And so it really wasn't fair to him to not only lose his first best friend and his only sibling, but to watch his mom self-destruct. I mean, I really started to think how selfish of me to allow myself to self-destruct right in front of my own son. It just wasn't right. And I actually came to another conclusion, but this was after I stood up to fight, after I developed the nine actions to battle your beast and, and all of that. It took me a little longer to figure this one out, but I was putting so much pressure on Jamie. I literally placed my happiness on her shoulders and that just wasn't right. It wasn't fair. I mean, how could I do that to her? She's battling this vicious beast and I'm placing my happiness on her shoulders too. You know, but we do that. We do that in all sorts of relationships. We make other people responsible for our happiness. And so I've gained a whole lot more wisdom even since developing the nine actions to battle your beast and, and even more through the process of losing my daughter and beyond. And I shared so much more of that wisdom in Misery, You Don't Get My Company. So I, I'm, I feel very grateful and honored and humbled that I, I get what I asked for. I asked God, remember when I asked God, why won't you let me make a difference in this world? Why won't you, you know, I've always just wanted to help people. Why won't you let me? And he's letting me. He's not just letting me. He's with me, he's guiding me, and um, you know, he's never left me through all of this. So um, I just want people to know that, they, that there's hope. But you can't stay down on the mat and hope. You have to make decisions. You have to do something. God is not a forceful God. He's not just going to pick you up off of that mat and make you do anything. But I just know he's standing right at the edge of that mat, cheering you on. Life is a puzzle and everybody's here for a reason, for a purpose. And thankfully, if somehow we mess up a purpose, God's always got another one, a backup plan and another backup plan. But I think it's really important that each person walk out their journey and their mission and be present for what they're supposed to be doing here on this earth because it's like it's a big, huge puzzle. And life will go on even if we don't fulfill that mission, if we don't put that piece of our puzzle into the whole big picture. But that piece will still be missing. And I know a lot of people right now can't even imagine that they could have a purpose or that they could make a difference because I remember feeling the same way. I thought, who's going to listen to me? What do I have to say? My life's a mess. But never lose hope. And I'll take it a step further. Don't lose hope, but you've got to take action. Hoping is not going to make it happen. Dreaming and wishing will not make it happen. And even simply praying won't make it happen. We have to do our part. We have to meet God somewhere on this journey. So I just hope and pray that more women 
will make that decision to stand up and fight. This world is in desperate need of leaders, of women of courage, who are willing to fight their way so that they can prove to others that it's possible. I know it's possible because I'm living proof and I never could have imagined being where I am today. And I know far too many women who are doing the same thing for me to believe that it's not possible for everybody, no matter what is happening around you. It's time. Don't wait another day. That's my strongest message to people is stop waiting. How quickly a day goes by, a week, a month, and even a year, and even a decade. Time is flying. We don't have any more time to waste being victims laying down on that mat. Stand up and fight. It's worth it. This has been another uplifting episode of Still Standing with Valerie Silvera. Remember to visit ValerieSilvera.com slash podcast to subscribe via SoundCloud or iTunes.